0: all you cool cats and kittens. No, it's not Carol Baskins, but it is yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. So, speaking of cool cats, before we get started with today's episode, I have to tell you about our fantastic new sponsor. That's right, you know him, you love him. It is our friends over at the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, the Lions of Liberty is the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, featuring three unique shows with three unique hosts. Their flagship show on Mondays is hosted by a friend of our show, Mark Clare, featuring interviews with leaders in the Liberty movement, round table discussions, debates, and more. More recently, Mark's been focusing on personal development and self-growth, featuring some familiar names like, I don't know, Jason Stapleton or Gary Collins. Wednesdays feature Electric Liberty Land, a weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty hosted by the hilarious and acerbic Brian McWilliams. And on Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is a weekly look at the broken criminal justice system hosted by John Odermatt, featuring inspiring stories from those who've overcome incredible injustice and adversity. So head over to your favorite podcast catcher and hit that subscribe button to Lions of Liberty, and then let Mark and the rest of the pride know that Brian Nichols here at The Brian Nichols Show set you. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the
0: We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your
1: host, Brian Nichols.
0: Happy Friday, folks. Brian Nichols here. Brian Nichols Show. You are in store for, yes, another fun-filled episode, and it's a guest you know and love. I know you know and love him because you always click download when he comes on the show, and it is the one and only Brad Palumbo. Now, Brad is joining us today to discuss a brand new venture that he is launching. It is his new podcast, Breaking Boundaries, and it is a fantastic opportunity uh, opportunity, that is to learn how Brad is approaching his podcast of having conversations, not that of debate, to actually find some real long-lasting substantive agreements with people who maybe we don't typically agree with. Believe it or not, it works. Uh, And I say that because I listened to uh, the first three episodes of Brad's show uh, up to this uh, point here uh, when we first had this conversation. Uh, He had not yet released his conversation with Blair White, but I just listened to that. Glenn Greenwald, both phenomenal episodes. I would recommend them highly. Uh, So please do me a favor, go ahead and uh, check those out. But also listen as we discuss a variety of other topics today, namely looking at that of uh, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, how the Supreme Court has really gotten in terms of the size and scale uh, to the extent that when a Supreme Court justice dies, half the nation goes ballistic. Um, So we discuss that. And then we also discuss what's maybe a solution to the problems that we're seeing right now from such a polarized nation. I argue federalism. Brad happens to agree. Uh, And then we also discuss uh, how coronavirus is uh, actually helping show said Maris of federalism. So, without further ado, on to the show! Brad Palumbo returning to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Brad, you're becoming one of the more familiar voices here on The Brian Nichols Show, and it's because whenever you, I have you on, number one, I always get so much positive feedback because people are like, more Brad, because you always have a, a fresh perspective on the news, um, and and man, you've been busy because you've been uh, taking that fresh perspective, and you've been doing it with your own new podcast, Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo. I have subscribed, listened to the first two episodes. I know you just have a third one that came out here with uh, Ms. Blair White, so I'm excited to watch – or Listen to that rather, but um, Glenn Green- uh, Greenwald was your uh, second guest here. The most recent one, great episode there. But breaking boundaries, Brad, uh, you started a podcast. And congratulations, number one. What kind of got you on this venture to, to go down the route of uh, the podcasting world?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you ask that because it, it was going on shows like yours and Chris Spangles and a bunch of other podcasts where I'm like, wow, this is so much cooler. I I can't, I come from kind of the world of traditional media. Like I worked in a newsroom. When I I spent a lot of time on Fox News and Fox Business, uh, and it's like, all right, you're gonna drive there for, to the Fox News studio. You're gonna get made up and and then be on air for 90 seconds with two speaking opportunities. Keep it to 30 seconds. Make your point, uh, and and try, and then they'll scream and interrupt you. The other panelists. So <laughs> there's something about podcasting that's so much more um, thoughtful and interesting and laid back, and it also feels a lot more. Uh, kind of connected and personal with an audience, right? I mean, my first few episodes, I'm just getting started, uh, but I, I've already got hundreds of people that are just listening and and mm-hmm. listening to the full hour long. And it's like, it's a different kind of reach than when mm-hmm. you're just talking for 30 seconds in something that 500,000 people will see. Yep. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I definitely encourage your listeners, if they like your show, uh, it'll be something similar, a little bit more long form. Uh, I'll be having a different guest on every week because one of the reasons I decided to launch the show, which is ba- Breaking Boundaries on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, uh, is basically that I met so many cool people throughout my time, my first kind of two years as, as a journalist, that I, I was like, well, why am I not leveraging these contacts? I mean, if I can get um, – all these cool guests. So you mentioned Glenn Greenwald, pretty, uh, in my opinion, cool left-wing journalist, kind of a civil libertarian. He mm-hmm. he was the one who published the Snowden leaks. Um, he we had an awesome interview there. I just had Blair White. Uh, she's a transgender Republican uh, YouTube commentator, quite the firebrand. Uh, and that was a great interview. That's out out. Um, it's out now on YouTube and iTunes and everywhere. And I I've got a couple more great guests lined up. Uh, everyone from Steve Forbes to Rand Paul to some other people, a lot of people on that short list that I've met, I've met over the last two years that are going to be coming on the show at some point. It's a matter of getting it booked. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. And I'm hoping to just have thoughtful conversations with people uh, and and on the stuff that matters and is relevant, but is a little more zoomed out, right? It's not mm-hmm. what happened today, September 26th, Saturday, right? But it's talking about things that are like a big picture, right? The 2020 election, the economy, the coronavirus, criminal justice reform, Black Lives Matter, these kinds of things, right? And, And I also feel like there's a dearth of kind of thoughtful, zoomed out content that isn't like um just super hyper partisan one way or the other or doesn't just have guests that only have one certain perspective so that's what I'm hoping to to go go for
0: yeah, absolutely the long form conversation is is something I think a lot of people are, are craving I mean, there's a reason that Joe Rogan has had the success that he's had because I think people were they, they felt that yes they, they were getting the news right they were they were up to date and informed but like, superficial. It's like, to a certain extent, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard about this issue. You say, okay, tell me more about that. And nine times out of 10, they, they can maybe give you one or two talking points. And then beyond that, it, it, it's pretty much just like surface level. There's no real substance behind it. So when, to your point, right, when you start to have these long form conversations, I mean, God, your conversation with Glenn Greenwald, literally the guy who helped expose the, the surveillance state here with Snowden, um, with his work uh, in publishing Snowden's um, findings, like that was just... From my perspective as a member of now your audience, right? To be able to listen to to your show, it was great because you're asking the questions and quite literally, you and I were going back and forth behind uh before you interviewed him. And you know, I was like, hey, here's one question yeah. I had for him. And it was that you're like, this is actually kind of a question I was gonna ask him. And and it was more specifically about, you know, his civil libertarian perspective as it pertains to then going to economic policy. And I was like, Yes, because that's a question that, you know, I think I would genuinely have for someone like a Glenn Greenwald, but there wouldn't ever really be the, the forum in in the traditional media to go and ask that kind of question. Even like Bill Maher. Like Bill Maher is maybe like the closest thing the media had before the, the advent of podcasting to have like these longer form conversations. But even still, he was approaching it through the stick of a comedian where, you know, it was you're gonna have the one guest you're gonna pick on, you're gonna have the the audience there to to fill in the the you know, the the gaps and stuff. And I think the, the the because there is the average person who's missing that that real substantive you know deep dive into the issues that to your point now you can have these long form conversations and then using the the contacts you've made right you, and you talked about you know, before air you're, you're 22 which just blows my mind still and yet you have these contacts Steve Forbes you know Rand Paul and that's to the value, Brad, of, you know, number one, building these relationships, but also, you know, not tossing bombs. You, 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 you'll pick certain things that are, you know, your, your key issues that maybe you'll be a little abrasive on. And that's good because you're doing it based on principle, but you're not doing it just to toss bombs at people. You're doing it because, you know, it's a, it's a principle position you believe in and with that you building positions with you know as libertarians somebody they might look at Rand Paul and say oh well he's not a perfect libertarian and it's like well you know what he's a pretty darn good ally um you know he he is easily one of the best us senators that we've had what in how many years um so so to that point you are actually now leveraging the the people that you have built these contacts with and now you're actually having a conversation that can dictate policy so i mean that's why we do what we do right and that's why i mean what you're going to be doing with this podcast i'm so excited because now you're actually having these conversations with people who are you know they're they're one person away really talking to the president in some cases talking to the president they're golf buddies and that really does have like a real like real life weighted um consequence in, in the positive i think for for our side especially
1: I also think it's just interesting, right? Because there's so few – I mean I guess I, I, there's a few hosts in particular and I don't want to say any names or call anybody out. But it's like where they have these kind of long-form conversations but there's only softballs. And, the, and it's, it's just interesting to me because right, Glenn is a great guy. Um, but he comes from like kind of a principled Bernie Sanders-esque civil libertarian. right? And so I just pressed him on it. Like it doesn't make any sense to – Think that the government hurts people and crushes their liberties through the surveillance state, but want to put the government in charge of healthcare via Medicare mm-hmm. for all. And we had a great like 10 minute back and forth about it. No one got mad. No one got triggered. No one got offended. No one screamed over each other. But it also like it wasn't that kind of thing. Where some people do, where they're like, "Yes, we're having discussions across the aisle, diverse thinkers," and yet they just agree on everything and don't right. talk about the things where they disagree. I don't want to do that either. So every ho- every guest that I'm having, um, I'm generally having somebody that I agree with them at least on the issue that they focus on or talk about, and I admire and respect. But I'm only uh, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm intentionally crafting a couple questions of the, where I'm gonna, you know, get play devil's advocate, give them a hard time. Yeah. Because it's just, it's kind of frustrating when listening to a conversation where when it's just kind of uh, softball circle jerk, yep, right? And exactly. that's no fun either. It's more interesting to make people um, just in good faith make them defend their positions from what the obvious critiques are. Yep. Uh, and that's that's fun to me. I mean, I, I grew up. As a kid, I was always like the contrarian. I have my own formed belief system that is very libertarian leaning on the conservative side now. But when I was younger, I was just kind of a shitster. I was just kind of a contrarian. And I love to do that. So being able to like, even if I'm playing devil's advocate, I'm not necessarily holding a position that I le- like personally agree with, but just to to kind of have the conversation. And and I think that people, that's how people learn is by hearing different ideas go back against each other like a ping pong ball, right? They don't learn by having just a chorus of agreement. Actually studies and science show that when you put people that all agree together, they just get extreme, more extreme and more extreme, and they become a silo and it's just leads to toxicity. So I'm inviting people. The thing is I'm not going to invite anyone on my show who I don't respect um, or who I think isn't a good faith actor or who I just don't agree with on anything. But like, I'm trying no promises, guys, I'm trying to get Tulsi on. And we disagree on so many things. But and, and, and unlike, you know, some other people, I would have her on and talk about the things that we disagree. Exactly. Yes. Not just focus on the things where we do agree where there are some. And, and I guess that's what I'm going for. I really I want I want there to be a, a very wide spectrum on on the podcast. And, and that's what keeps it interesting, too. Because yes. I know I really, as a podcast consumer, I look for episodes. I like your show a lot. I started listening to it regularly about six months ago. Uh, and I. But it's like where there's going to be interesting guests. Sometimes I see a podcast episode. It's a host I like. It's a guest I like. But I feel like I just know what they're going to say. Yep, They're just going to agree. So I just keep looking, find something else. That's what I'm trying to avoid with my show.
0: Yep, no, for sure. And you actually, you spoke to um something back a little bit ago about this, like, intellectual you know challenging of yourself right and if you constantly are, are in this actually I actually I challenge libertarians to go and listen to non-libertarian podcasts because it's good to hear the other side because if you don't know what their arguments are how can you ever you know think that you're going to be able to to face them in the the you know marketplace of ideas and, and really I mean I, without giving names you know i have a, a very good uh close family friend who um you know they they are pretty much a democrat socialist antifa guy and i'm like all right that's your thing like and I, and to get them to actually explain why they can't, right? Because they realize that like the, the logical inconsistencies are there, but they've never had to challenge this, this worldview because pretty much their worldview is through the lens of pretty much the, the internet, right? And if, if your worldview mm. is through the lens of what you have curated to be your real life on the internet, then it's gonna be a very skewed world. But the flip side is true, right? If libertarians, if and we're notorious for this, we we get into our little echo chambers on Facebook and on, on Twitter, and and you know, we have our, our little circle libertarian podcasts, and if we constantly hear each other telling each other, how right we are, like, yeah, that's great, we're right, but what's that actually accomplishing? So, to, to your point, right, when you're having these different voices on, I mean, yeah, it's a chance for us to challenge them, but it's also, I think, a great opportunity for us to make sure that we're, like, you know, we're kind of checking some boxes to making sure that we're going back and checking our work, right? Because if we're not right. constantly checking our work, then, you know, they're going to start checking our work for us, and and it's going to put us in really awkward spots, just like with my close family friend, where I I, I call him out on the, uh, the illogical inconsistency, and it's like, you see, like, the, the Windows 95, the do 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 doo and just shuts down, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, that's what happens when you completely shut down the rest of the world. You need to be able to face people that you disagree with and actually have conversations. To your point, you didn't have a, a screaming match with Glenn Greenwald. You had a conversation, and like that was so much more productive. Because I mean, candidly, Brad, my day job, I'm in sales, right? And I am never going to have a, a, a sale go through if I start out my sales call by telling the person that they're a bad person and that they're you know they're bad for for having whatever it is they had originally, you know, because at the end of the day. You're you're selling to a human being, you're, and and that's something I think a lot of libertarians forget is when you're selling to a human being you, and I know Ben Shapiro hates this too, but like you have to have some empathy, or at the very least, to show some empathy, and that requires you at least to enter a conversation again to your point in good faith and have to be open minded. Yes, we have our own perspectives, but like to hear and truly hear while we're listening to people speak about their their lived experiences. That's shaped their worldview, and if we're not able to address those, those experiences that have shaped their worldview and ignore those experiences, then how do we ever expect it to win them over in, in like making the sale? We have to build value, and if we're building value on something that doesn't really relate to them, then we're wasting our time, and quite frankly, we're wasting their time too, so having those, those you know, good faith conversations is something that – I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, not only with your show, but, you know, with my show, having random folks, I mean, I've had a, um, a gentleman, Lewis Black, he's the CEO of El Monte Industries, um, which is a major tungsten mining uh, facility, so, like, you know, I'm having conversations with that, talking about tariff policy, and I would never have had that conversation if I, you know, just had made a name for myself of going after people, right, because I'm looking, willing to have people on my show to have those, uh, you know, kind of, Non, I want to say non-threatening, but just like, you know, it's, it's a good faith conversation. I'm not going to go in with a gotcha and just try to take somebody down. There is one person I did, though, uh, with that. with him. It was Arvind Vora because I, I had a little bit of uh, issues with him. He was the vice chair for the Libertarian presidential. Um, was that the
1: pedo dude?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was him. Um, yeah, agent Ugh. consent laws, yeah, saying some nasty things about veterans and, and public school teachers. I didn't take too kindly to that. So I did challenge him a little bit maybe more aggressively than I would have other guests. Um, and he kind of knew that going into the episode, but I digress. So anyways, Brad, we, we talk about um, intellectual rigor, right? And partly because right now in the news, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, passed away and she was uh, well known for her intellectual rigor with uh, that of one Antonin Scalia, both uh, completely foils of uh, one another when it comes to their ideologies. But at the same point in time, we're, we're very close friends and with RBG's passing, now the the Republicans are looking to to fill the seat with a conservative Supreme Court Justice. Amy Coney Barrett has been uh, tapped. It looks uh, seemingly to be the replacement for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which would be a huge, huge um, you know selection for for Donald Trump. Three Supreme Court justices in one term, and, and likely one or two more. I mean, Breyers he's what eighty two, and Clarence Thomas is in his seventies. So there's a real chance that the next president has at least two more. Uh, appointments ahead of them. So, Brad, this is a, a big appointment, and and right now I, I see a lot of friends on the left. They're they're nervous. They're scared. Let's kind of start off with the the elephant in the room, and that is that we <laughs> we have a SCOTUS that it has so much uh, weight to it now, and in the decision making of it, that there are people who are afraid of of a Supreme Court that can go one way or another. So, let's kind of start out with the size of the Supreme Court. How have we gotten to the point now as a society where the Supreme Court has, has had this much weight in making, you know, civil um, decisions in terms of policy, but also a- across the board, economic policy, trade policy. How do we get here?
1: Well, we got here by people basically trying to circumvent the legislative and democratic process by getting their agenda advanced in the courts. Congress has been gridlocked for a long time and one of the consequences of that is that be, that activists a while ago learned their resources were more effectively funneled into legal challenges trying to take their case to the courts and have judges basically just give them the policy victories they want in the courts and uh, alternatively there's kind of the obstructionist tendency of whether it was republicans under obama or now democrats in certain circuit courts where you can use the courts to resist hashtag #resist the agenda of the other team when they win win and when they try to implement it. So I guess the court's fundamental role is supposed to simply be a referee, but that's enforcing the rules of the game. They're not supposed to be taking a side and declaring uh, things into law that are not law, that they think should be law. Uh, I mean, I, I studied constitutional law for several courses in college, and I remember reading decisions where the judge would cite the spirit of the Constitution. And, and then they would declare some mandate that the spirit of the Constitution really demands. And, and there's no such thing as a spirit of the Constitution, right? If you got to point to the part of the Constitution that says you're not allowed to do that or you must do that. And because ultimately, if people if the Constitution can mean anything, it means nothing. And then it fails to serve as a proper uh, check. So how we got there is that we relied on the Supreme Court. For things like gay marriage. Now, I think that the details of the Obergefell v. Hodges decision, the 2015 decision that legalized gay marriage nationwide, are – I think that I I probably do agree with the ruling in favor of gay marriage. Obviously, I am gay. I am pro-gay marriage. But I just think there is a case there in that situation because of the Equal Protection Clause. But it's still an example of – it's still an example of where – Things were happening through the democratic process. States, one by one, were legalizing gay marriage. It was going along, but then activists took to the judiciary because they weren't satisfied with that. They didn't want to have to convince the red states, so they just got the court to act as a super legislature for the whole country, and that's really bad. It's really not sustainable for, even though I like the outcome in that case, I can say it's bad, Uh, and that's really not sustainable for either side, and that's where you end up with, like, a, a culture that panics and has a meltdown because they're—and don't get me wrong—huge respect to RBG as a person, but the left had had this weird cult-like worship of her, and it wasn't healthy or normal. Uh, and 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 that—that's a product of the outsized importance we've placed on the court, and it really could only it could only be healed by having a court that only enforces the law as it is written and sits out of all forms of judicial activism and lets the democratic process play out as ugly and messy as it is sometimes.
0: Well, that's, that's the whole point. I like, and I hate when people say gridlock is bad. Like no gridlock is like actually a part of the system. If gridlock is taking place, that means that the country is divided on an issue and maybe just maybe the federal government should scale back from this being a federal issue or, you know, at the very least a complete national U S issue and say, how about this? Let's make it, you know, relegated to the States. Now, I guess let's play a devil's advocate because we're talking about, you know, making sure we're asking tough questions. Well then to you know, your I would say your average person, they would say, Well, what about your person living in Texas? Your average gay person living in Texas, right? Now wouldn't they be subject to these draconian laws, these anti-gay laws, and they would then, you know, be be forced to live, you know, an anti-gay lifestyle against their will?
1: Well, so I guess it depends on um what we, are, what we mean by anti-gay laws. Obviously, any law that infringed on an individual's constitutional liberties, right? And gay people have, con- for, they have con- fundamental in- constitutional liberties. The role of the courts is to strike that down. So right. for example, Lawrence v. Texas, a 2003 case struck down laws uh, that w- made sodomy illegal, that criminalized gay behavior. And they were really kind of archaic and on the books, but it, it said, you can't do that. That's an infringement. Uh, But that's a big difference from having, say, legalized gay marriage in your state or having um, affirmative action for gay people in government jobs or uh, government funded pride parade or, you know, what I mean, like all these things that if you want, you need to fight for in the democratic process um, where you can't just find them in the Constitution. And the other thing is. This is really interesting because I've been talking to a bunch of different lawyers and legal scholars and as this kind of process has played out and one of the reasons it's not just a shift in the ideology towards judicial activism that has made the Supreme Court so um, of outsized importance. it's also this shift in the size of the federal government. yes because absolutely. when when the federal government was smaller, many more issues were being decided at the state level and therefore litigated in state courts right? And so you didn't just have one court seat with one one person dying that swings the whole fate of the nation. And that's really not a healthy place to be, but it's part, it's part of the problem that you have when you take what's supposed to be a limited federal government and you inject it into every aspect of life. And then every four years, you drastically flip it back and forth. Well, that's how you end up in this unhealthy situation where, We're all at each other's throats and it seems like things are only getting worse and more partisan and more tribal. That's why, you know, there's a a, David French is a conservative columnist and lawyer, a very thoughtful guy. He basically argues that federalism is the only thing that will keep us from a civil war. Uh, And I think that's true, even when it comes to things I don't like, like gun control laws. I think California at some point is going to have to be allowed to be California and Texas is going to have to be allowed to be Texas if we're going to maintain a union. Yep. Now, you got to have the rules of the game. No one can infringe on core liberties, but, but within the rules of the game, it's got to be fair game for whatever liberals vote for in California. If they don't like it, people who live there can move. And that's how you coexist, right? But whereas if you're fighting to either have California, San Francisco values and policies imposed on the whole nation or alabama's values imposed on the whole nation obviously this country is too diverse geographically racially socially religiously and and in every way for that to ever work or function so only i agree with i agree with david the only thing that can really get us out of this spiral is a return to federalism
0: and i don't think there's any you know really anybody out there who's going to argue with that except for those people in positions of power already in dc and and i guess brad that's you know, I'm wondering because I'm seeing this even now from some of our friends on the left. Right, I'm seeing folks saying, "Okay, you know, blue states, it's time to go." And I'm like, "You're, you're really going on board with like this like seceding idea? Like you're, you guys are starting this this talk and like." Now that we're starting to see the, the left even starting to echo some of the things that some of the right states have been saying for the while now, it's like, OK, either. Yeah, to that point, we're, we're getting to a point where we can do this amicably. And it's going to either go towards a, a realm of, you know, yes, federalism, where we really, really scale back the, the size and scope of the federal government, say, hey, listen, individual states, you do your thing federal government will, will do, you know, again, the, the core responsibilities as outlined by the Constitution, but otherwise, we just can't do this anymore. And then you can say, you know, all the, the federal spending that was going to be going towards your individual states, you know, you can now use that money as you see fit based on, you know, whatever your state's, uh, you know, debt-to-income ratio, whatever they, what the uh, GDP metrics they have for those specific states, they can go to town there, and then you'll you're going to put the test, right, the different economic policies. You can look and see, you know, little case studies. How's California doing versus Texas versus Florida versus Maine versus New York? And you can start To to objectively see, you know what's working and what's not working, right? And that's the whole idea of what originally the Americas were set up to be was to be this kind of like you know grand case study of different ideas. But to your point, Brian, we've kind of been forced into this. Everybody has to follow the exact same set of rules, despite your geographic locations, your cultural backgrounds, everything. And and like, I just don't see how that makes sense. We don't. We wouldn't expect the Middle East to do that. We wouldn't expect. Asia to do that, but yet we have fifty very geographically diverse states across a massive area, and we expect that to be done here. It seems like people are maybe starting to wake up to that. But how do we counter? I guess the the power dynamic of the incentives of those people already in power in D.C., who obviously they're not going to want to give up this 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 control from not only the electoral standpoint, but let's talk about the, the behind the scenes, right? The deep state. It is real. Like the the, the architecture yeah. of the deep state. It is a real thing. And that's – it's deep-seated. So how do we counter that as well?
1: Well, this is the million-dollar question, and it's a difficult one, but it's, it's not impossible. I can give you – like there was, there was actually a really good example that just came to mind while you were talking. Uh, remember the Obamacare repeal debate where yeah. they wanted to – basically they, they wanted to repeal, but the GOP got weak and some people <laughs> defected. Yep. One of the proposed solutions was something called the Graham-Cassidy bill. It took basically all of the Obamacare. It ended Obamacare as a federal program, took all the money that was allocated to every state, sent it to them, said, here's the money. You can use it, design your own system, whatever rules you want. The Obamacare rules, none of the Obamacare rules. Some of the Obamacare rules, do your own thing, all 50 states, here you go. That's an amazing idea in hindsight, right? Because now think about the way Obamacare is fought over as in, Right. If if Trump is reelected, twenty million people will die. Or if Nancy Pelosi gets the power, we'll all have socialist health care. Whereas, like, why couldn't California have socialist health care and see how that works for them, exactly. and then Texas have whatever they want, and then it will we'll see we'll see what works, you know? And I I have a pretty good idea what that will be will be. But uh, if people disagree, they can they can do their own thing. Um, I think that that kind of thing. The problem is where's the constituency for that? Because like you said, people who want political power um, and activists on both sides, they don't no one has an incentive structure built in for that. You know, If you're a television host and you give your late night rant about federalism, you're not going to get a spike in the ratings, right? right. <laughs> Whereas if you talk about like Nancy Pelosi destroying America or Trump betraying the nation, maybe you will. Right. So it's it's, and it's like same if you're running for office, I guess the one of the most destructive forces in our politics is do something exclamation mark. And and the idea of not doing something and instead diverting power and giving it up is something that the type of people I mean, my background is in economics. It's what I studied in college and it's what I work on in large part now. Uh, Public choice theory is a very real thing. The type of people that are drawn to political office are by nature ambitious and power hungry and unscrupulous. And in some ways, that's a good thing. That's what they need to do for that job. But in other ways, it means they're the kind of people that are the least likely on earth to relinquish power or ever advocate diverting it back to the states. Uh, I think the only thing that we can do is kind of vigorously oppose new power grabs, because once that power is grabbed... It's darn near impossible to divert it back yeah and if anything
0: coronavirus kind of exposed this right it really it outlined you know this approach and, and you we see it you know with my governor here in Pennsylvania with Wolf uh, Cuomo in New York Whitmer in, in Michigan and and even uh, Murphy in New Jersey like this approach to governance with an iron fist central planning to a T, it led to the most deaths in America, but then you have governors like DeSantis and Abbott, and and Republican governors across the board. Um, you know them in uh, South Dakota, and they're being you know told that they're you know putting you know, they're, they're they're killing people left and right, and their policies are causing mass death and destruction. And yet their states continue to be towards the bottom of the list in, in deaths. and deaths. And and it's like the gaslighting. I think is is really it's driving people nuts. But your average person, I think, is starting to wake up to like, they can see for themselves. Like, if you live in South Dakota and you were able to live your life as, you know, pretty much as you were able to see fit even prior to the coronavirus happening, like if your life didn't really change that much, but you're watching nonstop this hysteria across the United States, like maybe you're like, okay, maybe this is not for me. Like, maybe we shouldn't necessarily be a part of this massive. 50 state um, you know, union that it has to follow all the exact same rules because, like, well, it just doesn't make sense.
1: And the coronavirus is a really great example. I'm glad you brought it up because it kind of shows both trends in action. In terms of, so it was kind of funny because I've got plenty of criticisms of President Trump, and sometimes he's expanded his power beyond its constitutional limits. But on coronavirus, he basically said, each 50 states governors, here you go. And it's like the same people that call him Nazi or dictator screeched, how could you not have a national mask mandate? Ah, And it's like, well, no, that's good. He shouldn't, he should be in a supporting role and each state should do their own thing because health and safety, uh, one, is is something that the constitution largely diverts to states. And two, it's something that suffers from kind of a Hayekian knowledge problem. Um, You can't write the rules from the halls of Washington, D.C., and, and expect them to fit well in both Alabama and Kentucky and Connecticut and California. Right. No, you got to leave it to the people that are closest to the situation to do it. And on one hand, we did get that. So governors were the ones making rules for their states along with you know, localities. And, and that's a good thing because people will vote accordingly. If they don't like what the rules were, they'll punish that guy or girl uh, who was in the office at the time. I guess, but on the other hand, uh, we've seen a reversal of this trend because the federal government got, has responded to the coronavirus with a truly unprecedented uh, economic intervention. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to run – oh, if, if they're looking to pass a new stimulus package, uh, Pelosi and the Trump administration, which might only be $2.4 trillion instead of the $3.3 trillion Pelosi originally wanted because that's what conservatism means now. Uh, apparently. but so even even if before this package we're already set to run a three to four trillion dollar deficit this year. Uh, the, the, the federal government under Trump and it due to Congress, they passed giant sweeping trillion dollar legislation that made welfare pay more than work through, in most states throughout the country. And even through the CDC, like they used the CDC as a power grab to issue an eviction moratorium in every state, basically seize people's property. So at the same time that we've actually seen a heartening divergence of power to the local level for rulemaking, we've seen an unprecedented expansion of federal intervention into the economy. And that's concerning for all the reasons that we've discussed. It just puts more at stake every November for these federal elections and puts us closer and closer to kind of splitting apart.
0: Man, I I'm hoping for some optimism um, as we go forward into the future. I'm hoping more people are going to start waking up. Honestly, Brad, and and honestly, it, it comes down to like stuff that you and I are doing, right? And and more folks out there with podcasts, with doing you know articles and economic research, what you're doing with you know at at, a, at Fee and National Review Online. Like, there's there's so much that can be done, and. There's so much that you know we need to do going forward, um, but it starts entirely with having the conversations. So uh, with that being said, uh, my man, it's, it's always a blast having you on the show. So Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, uh, we can be found everywhere. Really, you can find podcasts. So uh, I'm going to ask my audience to do me a favor. Um, we've been doing a, a great podcast, um, you know, ad swap right now with some great Liberty uh, podcast lines, Liberty, Gary Collins, Simple Life. And uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, audience spikes across the Libertarian podcasting from us sharing each other's shows. I'm going to ask my audience to go ahead and and, uh, give Brad's new show, Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, a subscribe. Um, And if you guys could, give a a, a nice rating and review. Uh, With that being said, Brad, uh, people are smart. They can go ahead and find you. But just give us a quick plugs, Twitter, all that kind of fun stuff where uh, stuff can go ahead and find you.
1: Absolutely. Brad Palumbo, Brad underscore Palumbo, P-O-L-U-M-B-O on Twitter. Just head there, look at the pinned tweet. It'll have everything you need to know about the podcast. Thanks, guys, and thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. Uh, big fan of your show uh, and really appreciate you having me on once again.
0: For sure, buddy, absolutely. And uh, anything we do support you, breaking boundaries, uh, definitely. Always a friend here in The Brian Nichols Show. Are you looking for a simpler life, real information from real people without all the BS we're bombarded with today? Well, hey, I'm Gary Collins, the host of Your Better Life Podcast. Make sure to go check it out. I'm a former intelligence officer, special agent, entrepreneur, and I'm here to give you the facts and give it to you straight so you can live the life you want. And make sure to check out my website, thesimplelifenow.com, where I sell all of my best-selling books, the Simple Life series, Going Off the Grid, Living Off the Grid, and just flat-out kicking some ass. Make sure to check it out, guys. Okie dokie, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with our friend Brad Palumbo, so do me a favor, head over there, not only subscribe to his amazing new podcast, Breaking Boundaries, but also go ahead and subscribe to him on uh, on Substack, give him a follow on Twitter, and also do me a favor, tell him that Brian Nichols sent him your way. Also, uh, speaking of telling people that Brian Nichols sent them your way, please do me a favor, support our sponsors Mark Claire, John Odermatt, Brian McWilliams over at Lions of Liberty, and of course, our friend Gary Collins at the Simple Life Podcast. Two networks slash shows I cannot recommend highly enough. So please do me a favor. Go ahead and support those gents and make sure you tell them that, yes, Brian here at The Brian Nichols Show sent them your way. And then while you're there, do me a favor and go ahead to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating and review if you would be so kind because that is how we move up the Apple Podcast rankings and we reach more people. Now, this also will give you a chance to enter into a super awesome exclusive giveaway, and that is if you take a screenshot of said five-star podcast rating and review which is a, a quick sentence why are you a member of the Brian Nichols show audience email me that screenshot Brian at Brianannicholhow.com and yes as I mentioned you are entered into a super secret awesome giveaway and I actually I figured it out right so I I I have in in uh, coming up here in the next month and a half uh, a great giveaway for you guys in store we'll be running this uh this uh, entire sweepstakes we'll call it sweepstakes sure we're running this through uh December so make sure between now and December over the next two months uh you head over to Apple podcast podcast, or whatever it is you get your podcast from, five-star rating and review. You are entered into the giveaway, and I'll be drawing that as we get towards the holiday season. And as for me, you you know the drill. Where can you follow me? At B. Nichols liberty Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com. And I mentioned it earlier, my email address, Brian, at com. My gosh, guys, we have so many phenomenal guests coming up here on the show this coming week. As we were joined by Nick Reed from Americans for Prosperity, where we have an absolutely fantastic conversation focusing that on how we find some purpose in life, um, but also how we um, you know, help uh, people find some personal responsibility in their own personal lives from a liberty standpoint. Uh, Judge Strom Gray joins the show, former Libertarian Vice Presidential nominee back in 2012 and former uh, candidate for the Libertarian nomination here back in the 2020 uh, 20 cycle. Uh, Judge Jim Gray joins the show to discuss his new book, All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And then uh, Sam Jacobs, our, our friend from Ammo.com, joining the show to discuss a Biden presidency and the implications on the Second Amendment. So, make sure you go ahead, hit subscribe because you have amazing shows to look forward to here on the Brian Nichols Show. So with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Brad Palumbo. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.